<laughs> is that done with the power of my thought? I just looked at it and it appeared. Not, not really, no. Let's turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And um, I want to tell you about someone in the Bible. I want to tell you about a man. Actually, he was uh, one of two twins. Uh, his brother looked just like him. And he was, on the day of Pentecost, filled totally with the Holy Spirit. Uh, a tongue of fire hit him right in the head. And he got up with the other apostles and he preached. And as a result of him preaching along with the others... Uh, 3,000 people came to know the Lord. And then a little while later, he left left Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And he traveled throughout the Middle East. And as he traveled throughout the Middle East, uh, he preached uh, the gospel very powerfully with miracles and uh, established churches. And finally ended up in India... Uh, in particularly the southern area of India, where he planted uh, a big church and uh, uh, a thriving Christian community. And there, because of his faith in the risen Jesus, he was actually killed uh, for his faith. And uh, legend has it, although this is probably not true, but let me tell you the legend. The legend has it, that even after he died, uh, a little while later, people were handling his bones and they were healed of their diseases by handling his bones. That's according to legend. Anyone know who I'm talking about? It's actually Thomas. Doubting Thomas did those things. I don't know about the bones, but everything else I told you uh, is based upon historical evidence. This morning I want to talk to you about doubt. I want to talk to you about what what it's like to have a real collapse uh, of your faith like this man had. And the reason I wanted to tell you up front all that other stuff was to encourage you that even those who have a collapse of their faith, it doesn't mean at all that it's the end of them. Uh, probably Thomas in heaven, when we go up there and meet him, everyone will say, oh, you, you're doubting Thomas. And what will he say to you? Look, look, fellas, did you ever hear about my great revival in India? You never hear about what I did in the Middle East? Didn't you hear about Pentecost? What are you calling me? Doubting Thomas. Irrespective of the fact that all the apostles doubted until they saw the Lord. 
But anyway, that's another matter. So let's read this story of the resurrection of Jesus and the, the bit where Thomas says, you know, I, if I, unless I see him and put my finger in him, I won't believe. John 20 and starting from verse 19. You all with me? If you're with me, say I. You're not with me, say oh. On the evening of the first day of the week, what, the first day of the week, Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, this is Easter day going on here, Jesus came and stood among them and said this, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, Didymus is, uh, means twin, called the twin. That's curious, isn't it, to call only one of them the twin? What do the other guy look like? Anyway, we'll think about that later. Now, Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, the Sunday after Easter, a whole week goes by. No, the Lord has not appeared. And then a week goes by. And his disciples were in the house again, verse 26. And Thomas was with them. He wasn't with them the previous week. He's with them now. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the anointing of the Holy Spirit descend and be loosed and released among us today to bring glory to your Son and to bring your kingdom among us in these moments. I ask this in trust in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Doubting Thomas, doubting me, 
doubting Thomas, because we all could be a bit like Thomas a lot of the time. I want to answer three questions this morning, which maybe uh, is about Thomas, but maybe it's about you. So sometimes it'll sort of be about Thomas, and sometimes it'll be about you and where you're at. Why did he doubt? Why did he not need to doubt? And how did he overcome the doubts? That's a good, uh, a good thing to look at. Why did he doubt? What was going on there? Why didn't he need to, really? <laughs> and how did he overcome the doubts? And similarly, we want to ask the question about ourselves. Why do we doubt? Uh, why don't we need to doubt? And how can we overcome doubts? I guess there's two kinds of doubt, two kinds of times when we feel we've not got faith. One kind is, is when you might have your whole world fall out and you begin to doubt even the existence of God or, or, that, or that anything is true. You begin to look into other ideas. That's not so common among Christians. What's more common and what is a bit more Monday morning for us is that whole issue of, will God do it? I, has he spoken to me? Is this going to happen? I've read this in the Bible. I still believe in God. I still know that Christ rose from the dead. I know he's coming again, but I know he's coming again, but is the money coming in the post? You know, I know that. I know that he's the great physician, but is he going to heal me? I know that he is the Prince of Peace, but is he going to speak a word of peace among my teenage kids? Or among my family? Or between me and my father? You know. So, when I'm talking about doubt this morning, I guess I'm more thinking about that second kind, where we come to the place where we think, I don't know if God's really going to come through for me. I believe he'll come through for the person next to me. And the person sitting behind me, but I don't know if he's going to do it for me. Okay. Let's look at the first one then. Why did he doubt? Why did he doubt? First of all, it does seem to have been part of his personality. <coughs> you know, in life, is it not true that you meet people who are believers and other people who don't believe nothing. Now, I'm not talking about the Bible now. I just mean generally. There are some people who believe anything. Some people believe that there's someone in another continent who's left them three and a half million pounds. And then, two days later, someone else has left them that money. It's amazing what people believe. Some people, you could say to them, I've just seen some fairies at the bottom of the garden. And they'd go, let me get my camera. You know? They believe anything. Believe anything. Some people are believers. I remember uh, having a TV producer come here uh, one time. And we had a two-hour chat in the office after the meeting. She didn't become a Christian, but she was a real believer. You know, you told her things and she believed you. It didn't change her life. 
But she believed it. She believed it. Uh, I like to take the opportunity when I get my hair cut uh, to be a bit of an evangelist in the chair. And I know that some of the people who do my hair will believe things and others won't. You, you, you understand what I mean? You talk more freely to one than to another. One guy who used to cut my hair, he looks at me very strange now when I come in. And he goes, oh no, it's him. Where someone else would think, oh wow, I want to ask him some questions. Some people are natural believers, whereas other people are just real skeptics. And in fact, someone could be raised from the dead in front of their eyes, and they say, well, this guy's an actor. You know, they wouldn't believe it if they saw it. And can I say to you, my dear evangelists, that we meet these people all the time, you know. And uh, you want to ask God to help you find people who are believers, because you could become mightily discouraged if you take all your courage to go to preach the gospel and you preach to ten people who wouldn't believe anything uh, and, and you want to ask God to help you to you know, find those who, who may believe. I guess you get the cynics and then right on the other side of the scale you arrive at faith in the middle and then you get naivety over here. People who believe anything. Oh, a UFO was in my garden. Did you take a picture of it? No. <laughs> but we've all got mobile phones now with cameras. Hasn't anyone got a picture? No. no. They all appeared in the 50s when none of us had cameras and now they're gone. <laughs> Thomas wasn't naive. He didn't, believe in, he didn't believe in anything. And he wasn't really full of faith. He was more over here. He was more the cynical, pessimistic guy. Jesus said, in John 11, he said, we're going to go to Lazarus and we're going to raise him up from the dead. And what does Thomas say? Let's go. Let's go with him. And you can look at it in uh, uh, verse 16 of John 11. Let's go with him that we might die with him. I tell you this, if I was going on a missionary trip into some area of Rio de Janeiro and someone jumped in the car and said, I want to come with you because today I want to die. I might think, maybe we'll go some other place. That's what he said. Let's go and die. Now, by the way, that reflects a man of incredible courage. Amen? Think about that. He was going to go and die. He thought he was going to die. He still went. But uh, some of us in that position, if we heard we might go somewhere, we might die. We might think, let me just go to the library and just read about dying. But he went to die. Nevertheless, the point is still made He was a cynical kind of person. Uh, He had too much going on up here and not enough going on in here. Too much of this and not enough of this. Sometimes I think that it's actually quite tricky for some men to receive from the Spirit of God because... Men are more, uh, I'm going to think all this through, you know, and cerebral. And I'm not suggesting that women aren't like that. But if you had a a general split, we find that women are more receptive and more open to the things of the Holy Spirit because they tend to be guided by, by something else other than their head. Remember one man desperate for the baptism in the Holy Spirit 
And uh, with no offense intended now to those who have not yet received this gift, but he came up to him and he hadn't received, and he came up to him and he literally banged on his head. I will never do this. But he banged on his head like he was knocking on a door. And he banged on his head and went, too much of this, too much of this. Some people uh, operate on a level of, I want proof, give me proof in triplicate, you know, that's how they are. And Thomas was a bit like that. He was a bit like that. In John 14, he is also, his other line of dialogue, both times he speaks in the Bible, there's just an air of negativity about it, and some people are wired like that. Now, can I just tell you, if you're wired like that, get rewired. That's not saying it's okay, but what we are saying is that actually we have to recognize where we, where we are if we're going to go on. All right, can you say amen? So if you are a bit cynical and, and skeptical, I guess it's better than being totally naive, but it's also not exactly what God wants, and we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But at least if you know you're like that, at least you know, at least you know what the journey is for you. That you need to ask God to help you. So why did he doubt? He doubted because he was a bit like that. He did doubt things. Secondly, he had just experienced an enormous disappointment. Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was going to redeem Israel and boot out the Romans, it just died. He was dead. There's no doubt about it that he was dead. And the party was over. You imagine leaving your family and friends behind joining a group of 12 men, or 13 if you count the Lord, and not all of them were were great guys, Uh, and finding out three years later, when you think that it's just, we're we're all heading towards glory, they were saying to Jesus things like, can we sit next to you when you're in the kingdom? And suddenly, he gets arrested. One of their own betrays them. He gets arrested... And instead of an angel coming and rescuing him, he's killed. He's killed. Jesus died. It was over as far as this this guy was concerned. It was over. He just had an enormous disappointment. The scripture reference here, Luke 24, verses 13 to 24. It's the story of um, two people traveling to Emmaus. On Easter Sunday, and you remember, Jesus walks along with them. He disguises himself so they don't recognize him, but he walks along with them, and he says to them, "What are you talking about?" And they say to him, "Don't you know? You know what's happened here? Jesus of Nazareth was here, mighty in word and deed." And they say these words. Listen to this. They say this. They say, "We had hoped." that he was going to be the one. The fact that they said we had hoped that he was going to be the one means that they accepted 
incorrectly, but they accepted he wasn't the one. It was over. A terrible disappointment had come into their lives. No one calls them doubting Emmaus travelers, but they were just the same. And how true this is for me, for you. We can be a people of incredible faith, and then we suddenly have a terrible disappointment. Something we'd been praying about did not occur. We all experience this. And when that happens, it may not shake our belief in the existence of God or the authority of the Bible, but something can happen on deep on the inside that says, I thought this was going to work out. I thought that if I prayed and I'd had people prophesy, it's all going to happen, and then it didn't happen. The truth is, if you can keep a secret, it was going to happen, just not the way they thought, right? So it was, their, it was their perception of God's plan that was wrong. God hadn't done anything wrong. But they believed wrongly that the way their prayers would be answered would be in a certain way. And God answered their prayers in another way. By raising his son up from the dead. When we have a disappointment, it can knock our faith. Can it not? Speak to me. It can, can't it? We become knocked And very often, the reason why we're knocked, at least sometimes, is because actually God had one plan and we had another, and they didn't quite tally up. I read a wonderful quote this week on Twitter, I think, something like this. When we come to prayer, we do not come to pray so that God can do our will. We come to pray so that we can do his will. Can I say that again? When we come to pray, we don't come to pray that God will do our will. By the way, that is sometimes 90% of the way we think and pray. But when we come to pray, we come to pray that we will do his will. So sometimes the disappointment comes, not because God has failed us, but because he's got a different plan to us. He's got a different purpose to us, often a much bigger one. We see just in front of us. He has a satellite uh, view of life, the universe and everything. He'd He'd had a disappointment and it can knock us. Thirdly, he missed the meeting. He wasn't there. Now, I don't want to theorize, but can I just ask the question, where was he? Was there a deal at next? (laughs) And it was his anniversary? He wouldn't be buying for himself, of course. Where was he? Where was he? Did he get some vouchers for a restaurant? Where was he? He wasn't there. Because he wasn't there, he missed the greatest thing that could possibly have happened. The appearance of the risen Lord on the same day that he arose from the dead. And they were amazed. He breathed on them and blessed them and gave them his peace. But Thomas was not there. I want to tell you this. That the meeting you miss will always be the best one. You know that, don't you? 
The one that you don't show up at. That's the one where the angel Gabriel appears. All the ones you show up at, it's Kumbaya, (laughs) Amazing Grace, and let me read you a poem to finish. Maybe not so much here. I tell you a few weeks ago, let me tell you just, just to digress, I have a real burden for these weeks of prayer that we have. I want you to come to them. I don't know what's on TV that's more exciting, but if you can come, I want you to come because you know, these, are like, these are like conference days to me. I was as sick as anything, showed up with a blanket wrapped around me to come. And that's not me showing up. I'm just telling you how awesome it was. It's a reflection on God, not a reflection on me. And there was just a few weeks ago, during our last week of prayer, Jane and I had just been sitting on the bed. I mean, I was on the bed all the time, around about that time. And she, if she wanted to come and talk to me, she'd come on the bed and all. And uh, we just were talking to God and asking some questions. And I, it's just astonishing that an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half later, we were just in that back room and people suddenly began prophesying and the word of God began to ricochet around the rafters, even answering direct questions that we'd asked on the bed an hour and a half before. I tell you, I left that place with great faith. Thomas hadn't made church a priority and because of that, his faith plummeted. Well, of course it will. It's it's, it's not rocket science. If you take the coal out of the fire, it goes cold. It doesn't matter what it's like now. You take it out of the fire for a week, and it's, it's gone very cold. So that was the third reason why he doubted. He, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. I tell you, some of the things that we've seen in that back room when we've met together, some of us, I wouldn't tell people what I've seen. I wouldn't tell people some of the awesome things. They wouldn't believe me. They'd think it was fairies and a UFO at the bottom of the garden. Except I, except I sense the spirit of the sovereign Lord. So that's why I doubted. He was that, that way wired, incorrectly wired. He was um, disappointed. And he, he skipped church. wasn't at church. So he began to go cold. That's why he didn't have that faith. So we should avoid these things. Number two, why did he not need to doubt? Very quickly. Why didn't he need to doubt? Well, first of all, because he'd been with Jesus and Jesus never failed. Do you know... There have been moments in your life when you may have perceived Jesus to have failed you. Something didn't work. Something didn't happen the way you thought. And I don't want to go over the ground I've covered already. The issue is this, that in fact, as you look back, as you get wiser, as you get a little older, you look back and you know that he didn't fail. When you look back and you see it in the context of what happened in your life, you begin to say, you know, God actually hasn't failed me. And, you know, there were snapshots. We could have shown up with a, with a camera and taken a picture of Thomas on the boat in the storm at sea. You remember that? Mark chapter 4. What would Thomas's face have looked like in the picture 
in the storm at sea in Mark chapter 4. Something like this. For people listening on the podcast, I did a face of fear. This is a face of suaveness. He's terrified, you see. You can't just take a picture and say, that's it. Because in the next verse, he looked at the waves, he said, be still! And they were still. Hallelujah. See, Jesus never failed. In the, in the Lazarus story, it looked like he was too late, but he wasn't. He wasn't. And that's a good reason why we don't have to doubt. Because he's not going to fail you. Amen. He's not going to fail you. He may not do your thing. He may not fulfill your plan. But he won't fail you. He'd been with him three years. He'd never known him. Never, never known him to fail. What's the second one? Here's an interesting one. Go to John 14. Let's actually read a bit more of the Bible. John chapter 14. Secondly, Thomas and Jesus had had a conversation, a personal conversation. It's not just inferred that Thomas was there. We, we know he was there because he gets a line of dialogue here. Jesus is speaking to them. And in verse 5 of John 14, Thomas speaks. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going so how can we know the way? So for sure, Thomas was there. He didn't, he didn't get this later on an email. He wasn't watching on a webcast. He was there. He was there. He didn't read it in a magazine later. He was there. We can see that in verse 5. So what does Jesus say to them? Verses 1 to 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why was he saying that? Because he knew they were going to be. He says, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places, mansions in the old King James. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. What's this about? This is about the fact that before all this happened, before he died on the cross, before he was raised from the dead, Jesus spoke to Thomas and said, Tom, is it you or is it the twin? No, it's definitely you. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to go away. And then I'm going to come back (laughs) So that you can be where I'm going. Now he may have been referencing what we often call the second coming. But he may equally have been referencing his death and resurrection. I'm going to go away, prepare a place, and then I'm going to come back three days later. So that you can go where I'm going. And I'm going to appear to you. He'd already told him. Now, that's why he didn't need to doubt. Now, 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 I understand that probably in this room, Jesus hasn't appeared in front of you and told you things. But here is the word of God. Amen. Here's the word of God. Say this with me. The word of God is full of power. It's the same today. 
Every minute, every hour. The word is truth. It's also the way. The word is life. And it's for today. You you don't have Jesus telling you it's going to be all right. But you have the word of God telling you it's going to be all right. In the midst of your disappointment, in the midst where the plans don't seem to go your way, the word of God remains. Say amen, somebody. I want to preach in a Pentecostal church. May I? It remains. So one of the reasons why you don't need to doubt, first is that Jesus has never failed you, but secondly, because you've got his word. There isn't a chance for this to fail. Because kingdoms have come and gone. People have come and gone. Rulers have come and gone. But the word of God is still here. Still being preached in all the world. So another reason why we don't need to doubt is because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So if you need faith, it's time to blow some dust off the Bible. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Jesus has never failed you, but not only that, he's given you his personal assurance. That if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else you might need will be added to you as well. Faith is not the absence of doubt, but faith is overcoming doubt by trusting the Lord. That is so key to our Father's relationship with us, with me, with you. What does he want from us? He wants us to trust him. That's why sometimes he allows our ship to go into the storm. Let's see what's inside. Let's see where people are at. We're so busy putting God to the test, which we're commanded not to, we've overlooked the fact that he's constantly putting us to the test. Can you say amen? We think we're putting him to the test, where he actually he's putting us to the test. He says to the Israelites, that's why I let you go around the wilderness 40 years. I wanted to see what was in you. One more. How did he overcome the doubts? Very quickly. He gathered with the believers again. When he showed up on that Sunday night, the one after Easter, he said to them, no, I don't believe it. He said it to them. He showed up at church, but he didn't believe it. He says, no, no, no. They say, we've seen the Lord. He said, no, no, you haven't. How many know he probably wasn't going to be voted in as the pastor? He, he said, no, unless I see him and I touch him, I won't, I won't believe it. He still showed up at church, though. Still showed up at church, even though he didn't believe. There's a word of advice for you. He still showed up at church even when he began to doubt. Because something inside him, despite all the slightly critical things I may have said about him today, something inside him said, you know what, I'm struggling with my faith. I'm going to go and be with these people who do believe. 
And by being with people who do believe, I'll be encouraged. You're not supposed to do Christianity by yourself. You're supposed to do it in community with other people. You're supposed to do it rubbing shoulders with other people. That, that's why your Christianity doesn't work when you don't do that. And I tell you, Pastor Rory is not ever going to phone you up and pray for you. Good, good, good as he is. And uh, Apostle UCB TV isn't, isn't going to do it. Because you know what happens when a preacher comes on UCB and you don't like them? You switch it over. I don't like this. think I'll try Jeremy Kyle. No, we're supposed to do it in community, you see. I can't survive without the church. I can't survive without my Christian family. I can't. If you think you can, all the best to you. See you in heaven. See how it goes. But you'll end up a bit like him. Away. So, God bless him. He showed up. He showed up. He was unconvinced, but he sought the truth. And then, of course, the wonderful thing, he had his encounter with Jesus. Jesus said, touch me. And Do you know what? If you'd, those of you who are Bible students, you know, it, actually said, it doesn't actually say that he did touch him. You know, uh, we have pictures of him touching him, and, but it actually doesn't say he did. Jesus said, okay, if you want to touch me, come on then. <laughs> Poor man couldn't. Fell down on his face. My Lord, my God. My Lord and my God. And when we have doubt, when we have disappointment, we come together with others of a like mind. We have an encounter with them. We also have an encounter with God. He learned finally that it's better to believe without seeing. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. In the world, in the world, seeing is believing. In the Christian faith, believing is seeing. At least initially. Initially. This man left that room, preached all around the Middle East, and then one day, in the Kerala area of India, he died. And he died, he was executed, and he died because he refused to deny that Jesus had risen from the dead. If there was any doubt in him, as the flames were licking around him, or as the, I don't know what form of execution he had, as he was just about to be sawn in two or his head cut off, I think if I had any doubt, I might have said at that point, actually, I, don't, I want to have a rethink. I think, actually, I'm a Jedi. <laughs> but he didn't. In his heart, if not in his mouth, was this confession. Kill me then. Because I know that I have seen the risen Lord. I want to encourage you today. Maybe uh, you feel that 
there's a doubt in your own life. You have doubts and times of unbelief or disappointments. I want to show you your possible future. One future is that you allow those doubts and unbeliefs to seize you. And like, like Thomas Didymus, you stop showing up. Like he did on that Easter day. And the second future is this. The alternative you, the alternative course of your life, is that you do what he did on the week after Easter. Which is even though he'd had this disappointment, he showed up and he threw himself into it. And he had an encounter with Christ. And all was well, so well, 40 days later, that flame engulfed him. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, preached, and it took him to the uttermost parts of the earth. So be encouraged. Everyone doubts. Everyone has times of disappointment. I do, you do, the person next to you does, no matter what they look like. But let me encourage you with this. There's always hope. And Christ will never fail you. Let's all bow our heads.